Oh, it was the foreign um, minister, actually, of um, the United States. Uh, I believe is the person that people are talking about. I'm almost 100% sure that he would have never been stupid enough to say something that would, like, to the end of time, um, make us accountable for having the Baltic nations in NATO. That something like that could have never been said. This is Conversations About Eastern Europe. My name is Emil Jule Nøtrup, Consistency is Key, and Slava Ukraini. Welcome to a conversation about Ukraine with Anna. And can you tell your uh, last name? Uh, actually, I would like just to avoid it because my family live in um, occupied zone. So it's better just to the words like said, uh, personal information. Then we will... Um, do no uh, no last names but Anna is the head of the law department at Liberal Democratic League of Ukraine and I've already spoken to two more per, uh, to two persons from the Liberal Democratic League of Ukraine which is uh, Daria who lives in Denmark and then it is Jeff Genia who lives in Berlin. I think she lives in Berlin at the moment, so it's um, nice to also speak to another um, Ukrainian from that organization. But can you maybe, in the beginning, tell a bit about what you're doing and what your background is, and maybe also how you ended up in Rome, where you told me you're staying now? Yes, thank you so much for our conversation at all, because I think it's really important that uh, someone just, uh, you know, like increase their, um, these topics and uh, just uh, to not push everyone to turn a blind eye to this topic. So thank you for keeping in touch and uh, support Ukraine and democracy. I'm Anna. Actually, it's uh, really weird maybe to be like a 24 years old, uh, a short time uh, immigrant, and not uh, in uh, my even country. So yeah, for me, war started uh, nine years ago when, uh, um, when um, terrorist state just occupied my region. And I moved uh, to another city, which destroyed now. It's very open, and it was uh, it was Kiev when I just uh, studied. Yeah, and uh, I had been studying maybe for six years long, international law, all sum up. And um, after real invasion just started, I mean, like when a whole Ukraine were under the bomb, bombing attack and the rocket shots, uh, I uh, moved to Lviv. And uh, when it's continued, I just uh, got this opportunity to fled from Ukraine and uh, I end up in Italy. So yeah, like one year and maybe four months, yeah, one year, four months ago, I found myself in Rome. So now I just continue my uh, my um, walk in uh, Ukraine online because I'm a head of law department in uh, Li- Liberal Democratic League of Ukraine. Also, I'm like a project manager of human rights uh, program in uh, International Foundation of Liberal Youth. And also in Italy, I uh, understood that I need just to to use my skills to support Ukraine, so all, not only by donating army and so on, but also I just started my project. It's like uh, helping Ukrainians to adapt in different countries. So it just helps them with English and uh, try to support them in uh, the new, you know, like life period, like that. Huh? 
And um, I just want to say that uh, I think it's very impressive that you do so much work amidst the situation you're in. And um, I think that is something that I see in a lot of Ukrainians. So I just want to stress the fact that your guys doing all this stuff is also important for Ukraine um, in terms of uh, the war and in terms of where the country is going to be on the other side of the war. So yeah, I just wanted to recognize that before we um, delve into the conversation. But I think we should start that now and I've sort of made it a habit every time I speak with a Ukrainian to go through like the latest news in the war and it doesn't have to be like really long because there's a lot of places where people can find these news so it's just to give like an um, an overview and I think I'll just um, let you talk a bit about um, like what is the latest news and maybe some developments that is important to watch out for as of now. Yeah, I think it's uh, really important uh, some news which, for example, another side just avoid at all. So, for example, they uh, talk every time in the, you know, like Telegram news because it's really funny that uh, actually uh, Russian, uh, you know, like influencers and so on, they just... Uh, um, blocked or been, you know, like uh, in some troubles with uh, using Instagram or like previously with uh, Meta, you know, like uh, Google and so on. But now they uh, don't have uh, any troubles. For example, a lot of uh, Ukrainians are, I mean, like uh, under, you know, like uh, some blogs because as they just share some news which uh, just uh, uh, share like real, real estate I mean like real what's going on in Ukraine but unfortunately Instagram just block it because it's like uh, sensitive uh, sensitive uh, for others like it so yeah and now for example if you want just to get some to get some news about Ukraine and what's going on after this invasion you need just to really have like telegraph Telegram or just um, uh, read some Guardian or maybe some Washington Poster, which we also like um, can respect in this case. Uh, also, a lot of uh, Ukrainian uh, magazines uh, now have an uh, uh, English version, for example, like Kiev Independent and uh, others, Elor, for example, Babin. And uh, also, we can find like Hramatska, it's uh, like a civil magazine. Um, because uh, it's like uh, made by volunteers. So it's really curious in this case. What about the news? Uh, I think now the most important part is like to understand which resources you can use just to get this news. And uh, for example, in Telegram also, you can find like a lot of uh, fakes uh, and myths uh, about what's going on. So yeah, if we just talk about some news which, um, which I avoided um, from... Uh, <laughs> from Russia, it's actually the bombings are civilians. Especially, for example, we can just start with a uh, usual story which just um, happened uh, maybe months ago, uh, maybe even less than uh, three weeks, I'm not sure. It was a um, rocket attack to one village in Kharkiv region when people were in a funeral, you know, uh, when they just uh, regrouped another person who was uh, um, actually, uh, in, in, uh, in army uh, of Ukraine, uh, but uh, he just uh, was killed maybe in another region. 
and uh, he wanted to, you know, like it was like in last wish, and uh, his family wanted uh, just to, to change, uh, like to change the cemetery for that. And uh, when they will just uh, gaze with uh, other neighbors, uh, for example, in the villager, um, rocket tech just uh, wound all uh, the cafe and uh, the place where they work. And uh, maybe more than, uh, why well, maybe? Because uh, now it's like uh, the process is continued. Uh, so the process, I uh, mean, like investigation is being continued uh, to identify like uh, how many people are dead because uh, now it's like only 55. Uh, and uh, it's like um, it's like uh, uh, the third part of this village, so it's not like industrial object or like war object at all. So it's like example of uh, how they do it, and it's not like um, once a while. I mean, uh, it uh, really happens. For example, even today, when they just, uh, for example, want uh, the position, it's like near front line, and uh, it's really. Uh, from one side, really amusing how, for example, the leader now just tell why you just uh, give Ukrainians uh, attacks uh, if you just accept that um, we are just losing. So let them take back atoms and uh, just uh, take uh, something and uh, I don't know, like, and uh, make a peace. So it's really interesting how they can be bipolar in this case. So they just talk about that they already won, I mean, like this war. And uh, from another case, they just talk in how it's possible to continue on this. So it's really not understandable from my side. I mean, like how it could be. From the latest news, uh, I could say that uh, maybe um, several days ago, in Ukraine, we were just not, um, it's not like celebration, it was like a big day for us because it was like 600 days after full invasion. And uh, it's really important to know that uh, at the beginning of uh, 2022, the Army of Russian Federation occupied more than 25 uh, percentage of uh, all territory of Ukraine. And it's like maybe the whole Belgium and the part of Netherlands. And now, uh, if we just can compare what's going on like now, um, for example, currently on the, like in October, uh, this year, the armed forces of Ukraine released and returned about maybe 9 or 8 uh, percent uh, from this amount. And uh, it's really hard to think like how, for example, we all just dreaming about, you know, like coming back home, for example, me also. But uh, I understand that uh, really to uh, liberate, I mean, like um, a lot of kilometers, are, I mean, like, um, which is occupied. And uh, this territory actually occupied, like, for this year. We have also a lot of territories, like Donetsk, Luganesk regions, which are occupied for even more uh, nine years. So it's really hard. And uh, I think uh, it's really important to understand that, uh, um, for example, what the difference is, I mean, like this year and what, uh, for example, happened uh, after occupation, for example, my homeland uh, or like uh, other lands, for example, Crimea also, is that now they uh, do everything to destroy your civilians' uh, spirit and moral. I mean, like, uh, because uh, we have like a huge um, support uh, from volunteers. Uh, that's why maybe our army like trying to really attack uh, as I saw there, you know, like side, but it's really hard because uh, for one Ukrainian, it's like uh, 30 Russian soldiers 
and they have like more ammunition, they have more tanks, they have more weapons. So when we just ask uh, like more weapons, it's not because we want just to, I don't know, like to have attacks to their civilians. It's because we need just to defend themselves. Because uh, if we just compare Ukraine like really less in 30 times in this case. So what's the last news? It's uh, continuing uh, terrorist attack to civilians and also to um, industrial centers, I mean, like, which can provide some heatings for people. Because uh, everyone, I mean, like, every expert which I uh, yeah, read maybe um, previously, maybe this or uh, last month, it was uh, some prognostic, I mean, in perspective, uh, that uh, this winter even would be worse than it was, for example, last year. And as we remember, it was blackout. So I don't know what can be worse even this year. Take that. Uh, <clears throat> and um, I think it's really important to stress the point you made about attacks on uh, civilians because I don't know if it's just me uh, having missed out on something um, and because obviously Russia has committed atrocities against civilians during the whole period. But would you say it is correct that here over the last month or so, maybe it seems as if they have been more daring in the frequency which with which they strike like straight up civilian targets. So we saw the um, some of the killings you were talking about um there was an attack that um, killed 51 Ukrainians, I think, not so long ago. Um, no, it's like 55. I mean, like what they told about that uh, investigation is like uh, being continued about this uh, Groza in Kharkiv region. And the most uh, amusing part is that uh, Russian news really avoids this topic. So they uh, have never mentioned about that. Because for them, it's like Ukrainian just kill Ukrainians. It's like only, you know, like uh, such uh, really hilarious uh, con consequence, really. Because uh, all everything what they do, I mean, like in a touristic way, they just claim that it's uh, like we kill ourselves. So it's like that. It's uh, really unbelievable um, rhetoric. But do you think it's do you think it's true that they have become even more? Um, how can you say it? Not they, they care even less now about the attacks they um, they do on civilians than they maybe did in the beginning of the war. Is, I'm not sure. So it's more. Um, I'm not sure so, because. But so why do you think that these um, we see more of these like really devastating um, aerial attacks on civilians now? I think we, uh, for example, can um, think about it from both sides. From, for example, on one hand, we can see like, oh my God, it's really evil, and we need just to stop it. I mean, like it's really terror and it's really terroristic attack. And on other hand, we can see like really logical approach to uh, try win. I mean, like to try to win in this war. Why? Because if they understand that uh, they have like uh, more possibilities uh, to take more territory. I think that uh, they understand that uh, maybe um, the main problem is that they understand uh, how to continue the swarm because they have a lot of resources. I mean, like oil and economic stuff uh, because they just uh, reoriented uh, their economics to more Asia um, ways. And uh, 
For example, I think that now they're just working on the topic how to destroy your civilian, you know, like a civilian force in Ukraine and how to deal with it. Of course, to make it them fear. I mean, like to make them afraid of what's going on, what it will be. And because of it, they increase and increase even more uh, rocket attacks to civilians. I uh, cannot say that uh, they didn't uh, do it, for example, before. I mean, like months ago or two months ago, for example, I have a lot of students from Occupied Zone and uh, they just tell me what's going on with their relatives and how it's going on. And I can say that uh, it was, <laughs> actually. But now it's uh, getting worse. Why? Because uh, it's um, winter is coming, you know. <laughs> And uh, every country just uh, going to be prepared, you know, like to heating, to, you know, like uh, to heating period. And uh, maybe because of heat, they just try to um, destroy, you know, this autonomous um, democracy. Because if people started to, you know, like uh, be afraid of what's going on, how to, for example, to heat their house, uh, how to, for example, resist in such conditions, of course, uh, it could be really feared. And uh, they just try to destroy this uh, this force. I mean, like this uh, energy of our volunteers, but it's impossible now. It's really, the more they bomb, the more people are uh, getting angry and uh, more, you know, like uh, trying to cooperate. It's like that. And because of it, uh, I think uh, after my uh, trip to Ukraine, uh, because of Helsinki, I just uh, came back to Rome maybe um, two weeks ago. And uh, I can say that in Kyiv, I really was inspired. Everyone, uh, of course, was changed, but uh, people trying to resist. And uh, you just feel it in the city. You feel uh, this uh, spirit of uh, resistance. I mean, like how people try to cooperate with each other, try to help each other just to be together. Because uh, we have all, we yeah, we all have one aim now. So it's not working. Their, their intentions. Mm, okay, but so, like, um, the way you could see it is that as we're heading towards winter, Russia thinks that maybe escalating strikes on civilians right now would be a signal that could may lead to more fatigue among the civilians in Ukraine because of the fear, but that this strategy is simply not working because it doesn't enact those feelings in Ukrainians. It just gets them even more angry, as you're saying. Mm. Yeah, and that, I guess you can actually say that that is one of the big flaws for regimes working like Russia when they're trying to uh, attack and destroy the world of a freedom-loving nation like Ukraine, like the like the Ukrainians. You cannot destroy democracy. You can destroy an autocracy because democracy, they can change, you know, like why, for example, Ukraine resisted and Ukraine really stand even after, you know, like such kind of claims that uh, Kyiv, they could keep, they could uh, keep uh, like after two days 
or Ukraine, they wanted just to take maybe an overbike for, for to maybe for two weeks. And if you just check it for Ria Novosti, it's like uh, in Russian media, it's like a Russian international like news. And they really claimed it, and they have even uh, now such kind of articles when they really said that really we can just do it for two days or three. <laughs> It's easy. No, it's, it's, it's possible because uh, um, it's like how democracy works. For example, you cannot just destroy your uh, autonomous uh, spirit of people uh, we, uh, who just uh, got used to the, such system. That's why we are different. We are not uh, one uh, people, you know, like in this case. And uh, people who just uh, got used to another system, I mean, like more totalitarian, it's like more autocracy. And for example, you have like only one leader, one political direction, and uh, you just, um, I don't know, like you just don't want to take responsibility for your actions in this case. You just think that everyone just uh, guilty. I mean, like your government is guilty, your president is guilty, but you like, okay, it's like how Russians usually think about this situation. When you ask about something, like what's going on? They said, like, we are not guilty for that. We're really, um, like, out of it. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like that. But they pay taxes, and for these taxes, we just have rockets in our land. So um, in this case, you can just ruin their mind. And uh, it's like a choice to accept them in the new reality or not. But in Ukraine reality, of course, you can use, like, uh, for example, like, uh, Russia use a lot of MISA and um, disabilitated, you know, like, uh, propaganda which really works in occupied zone, but um, in general, if uh, people like uh, accommodate, you know, like uh, this energy and can work together, I think it's possible. It's impossible to rule. And let's uh, maybe talk <clears throat> a bit about the winter that Ukraine are heading into, because we see the same tendencies as we saw during this period last year, also with uh, Russia escalating its strikes on critical infrastructure like energy supplies and so on in Ukraine. And so one of the the feelings that I'm getting is that Ukrainians are a bit uh, frustrated about Western allies not realizing soon enough that this would happen uh, again and that therefore Ukraine maybe isn't as prepared as it otherwise could have been for all these um, strikes. But can you maybe just um, outline what situation the Ukrainians can expect going into the winter? Yeah, of course. For example, you would just can talk about uh, central heating over again in Kiev. I can say maybe about uh, regions to which I know, because I'm not the expert of, uh, you know, like uh, uh, state policy in this case, uh, but I can say like what's going on in the uh, regions where my family live, or for example, uh, where my friends uh, live too. So now just uh, government uh, started uh, not heating period. They just decided to turn on the heating in residential buildings uh, in uh, big cities. And I think it uh, must take maybe some several days or even weeks just to stop up the city's centralized heating system. Because, for example, in, um, I think, in a lot of Western uh, Europe, they have, like, not central heatings, for example, as in Italy or, like, Spain. They have, like, uh, individual ones, so you can just regulate by yourself something like it. But in Ukraine, it's all, uh, de- depend- it, uh, yeah, it all depends on uh, government solution. 
And uh, people, again, yeah, they just prepared now. People may be more prepared than government and uh, than Ukraine because a lot of my friends now just bought a lot of generators. Uh, they just uh, already um, have some, you know, like uh, sticks uh, just to, oh, I don't know, like to use uh, fireplace uh, in their villages or something like that. Uh, because, for example, in occupied zone, we cannot say that they have uh, some problems with heating. They have problems with water. They don't have water at all. For example, people more than one year and a half, uh, they live without water. So, for example, they need to take it uh, from supermarkets, from groceries, I mean, like, uh, to establish that uh, by themselves. But uh, with heating, they don't have problems because, uh, for example, uh, in uh, occupied zones were just uh, occupied uh, like maybe nine years ago uh, they just have um, no problems with heating which uh, uh, what we can say about zones uh, I mean like new it's like uh, what Russia just occupied maybe mm-hmm. yeah more than one year ago like uh, Zaporizhia, um, Kherson, Mykolaiv I mean like not the cities because the cities is like under U- uh, Ukraine it's like Mykolaiv for Kherson and Zaporizhia. But, for example, um, the parts of the, you know, like, uh, um, regions, uh, some villages and uh, small towns, it's like under occupation. And uh, what's going on there, I cannot say. Especially after they just blew it up, or, for example, Kahov, uh hydro station. And uh, I have no idea how it's, uh, I mean, like, how they just going to establish something there. I'm not sure they just going to actually. Um, what about like West Spot? I think uh, now everyone just trying to be prepared and maybe just buying some, uh, I don't know, like uh, some stuff for some, for set it uh, by themselves. Uh, for example, like uh, air conditioner, like uh, some fireworks, like some heating um, stuff. So. People just prepared by themselves, so they just uh, don't, uh, you know, like hope for that. Uh, someday, government just uh, start up with central heating, and it will be all okay because no one can j- give you any guarantees about that. Because if they bomb, I mean, like it's all will be destructed maybe for weeks, and um, it will be hard. Um, so it's safe to say that Ukrainians are heading towards a very tough winter, but that the civilians. Exactly, yeah. but that the civilians in the yeah, areas in Ukraine that are under Ukrainian control, they also now know that they really have to be prepared. And what you're saying is that the government is um, yeah, putting, um, how can you say it, like they, they, they regulate how often um, you can get this warm. Um, so it's not going to be easy for the Ukrainians, but um, I hear from what you're saying, that the re- resilience will still definitely carry them through, um, like no matter the odds, so to say. Um, so is that just what the Ukrainians have to uh, do again here? They have to show the strength, show the resilience, and they will get through it. Is that your um, your take on this overall? Uh, sorry, can you come again? Was the question? Yeah. So so. Um, from what you're saying, what I'm getting from what you're saying um, is that like this will be very tough, but the Ukrainians will show the strength, will show the strength and the resilience and get through this um, as we are approaching the winter. Is that sort of um, what your thoughts are about this? Because I just still think it's uh, it's still an, a very verifying situation that um, 
that it's not possible to uh, create a more secure in environment for this energy supplies during winter. Yeah, it's true. Thank you for such kind of sum up. Yeah, it's like that. Because, for example, as a side, just say as like, yeah, we'll be bad for our brother nation, something like that, they call it Ukraine. So from one hand, they just uh, doing genocide, and from another, they just call us uh, a really process. And uh, it's really like bipolar in this case, and not in this, actually. So they said, like, we all prepared, but they prepared nothing for people. And uh, I know it because uh, I know a lot of people who just stuck in their territory and couldn't just live. So, yeah, it's hard in this case. Mm, and I just think it's so important to uh, send a lot of thoughts to all the Ukrainians going through this and to really, uh, once again, um, talk about the fact that their resilience amid such period is actually very important also for uh, the freedom uh, struggle that Ukraine are fighting and, def- and therefore also in a, in a broader perspective. Um, I think that's why I want to... Um, stick with this that i wanted to stick a bit with this notion uh, before we go on to the next part because i think it's sometimes um not reported enough and not talked about enough how important all that the ukrainians are doing is actually and not just for ukraine but also um, for us and um, for our ability to keep supporting ukraine that um, ukrainians are going through all this stuff and it is just something that we could never even imagine here in Denmark, for example. Um, but let's move on now to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which um, is the relations between what um, Hamas is doing and um, what Russia is doing. And I have talked a lot about what has happened in Israel uh, with Hamas and um, all that. So it's not that we have to spend too much time but I just really wanted to hear your take on um, the relation between Hamas and and Russia, and how um, Russia could might have affected the fact that Hamas stroke just as of now. Yeah, thank you for the question. I uh, just uh, to like f- from the beginning, I want just to say that I'm not expert of uh, the Near East East, so I can say it uh, more like subjectively. In this case, because uh, of course I don't it in university uh, for maybe four years. Uh, of course, I just read some Arabic news uh, and I try just to read like from both side news, and I just really um, eager for understanding both side from this conflict. And I'm talking about not Hamas. I'm talking about Palestine and uh, Jewish people, because I think it's important to understand and uh, to. To not uh, turn on blind eye to someone's pain in this case. Uh, of course, it's over a situation who support uh, who supports Hamas. Yes, so I will not tell like some nonsense about that because when, for example, a few days ago when uh, I were in global summit in Stockholm with my colleagues uh, in uh, uh, from Ifleni, we just. Um, read into some newspapers in Stockholm and all newspapers uh, were with some, you know, like news about Hamas, uh, who supports him, especially from our neighbors, and uh, what's going on there. So I think now it's really, really relevant uh, news. And actually, I can say that uh, um, Ukraine is full of, uh, you know, like um, different diasporas and uh, national minority, national minorities. 
And uh, I can say even more that uh, in Israel we have a lot of people who just uh, gain, uh, you know, some positions after they just fled from Ukrainian um, Soviet Republic or just after Ukraine just started to be like independent. After 1991, they just moved from Kyiv to Israel and started to be a big people. I mean, like, uh, like um, prime ministers or just, um, you know, like, uh, ministers at all, by the way. And that's why Ukraine is really, um, you know, like very connected with uh, Israel in this case. Not because we have like a lot of uh, Jewish population on our territory, uh, but also because we are so far from Arabic world. And uh, we, of course, just uh, cannot, um, we cannot uh, turn blind eye of what's going on in Israel. We cannot just avoid uh, the payment, and especially me, who has some relatives in Israel and um, some uh, students from Ashkelon, and I think it's really hard, for example. And uh, especially from Ukrainians who just moved from one war to another to Israel and faced again the visits. Uh, what about Hamas? I think we can support Palestine's uh, accepting uh, that uh, Hamas is a terroristic organization. And I think we can uh, support uh, Jewish people understanding that uh, their government really commits some crimes. And uh, how is going on? I mean, like how our international organization can claim it, what kind of crimes they can accept as crimes, uh, and uh, how they can uh, identify, I mean, like some uh, ruling for uh, actions from their government uh, with uh, international laws. Uh, it's another question. I'm not an expert of the nearest East, but I uh, can say that uh, in Ukraine, all terrorist organizations uh, from Lebanon or from Palestine is like under the law. So we need just to accept that Hamas is a really terroristic organization. What we can talk about their actions, of course, it's illegal. What we can talk what's going on now, for example, what happened yesterday when a hospital was bombed, now it's like uh, it's been a continued uh, investigation. Who just um, did it now? It's like from both sides, really, really bad topic because all users are their side to support their own. But we need just to understand and read, uh, you know, like both sides from this and understand like you can believe in what you want. But uh, I just uh, ask uh, people to not accept themselves, you know, like experts after one article in Wikipedia about the Israeli-Palestine conflict, because it's actually not conflict, it's a war. And also not everyone just likes it when, for example, a lot of people say like, yeah, it's like Ukrainian conflict. I'm not sure that it's correct to say, because uh, it's not Ukrainian conflict, it's not uh, American-Russian conflict. Ukrainians uh, actually had war even before America just existed. <laughs> so even before America was created, uh, Ukrainians uh, fight it uh, with the Russians. And uh, we have like really a big topic and a uh, big question to Palestine and uh, um, Jewish people who just uh, need to have like, you know, like a two-state solution. And when it happened, we will see. So you already talked a lot about also one of the other questions I, w uh, I would like to ask, which is um, about the shared feeling, shared, shared feelings of Ukrainians and um, Israelis. Can you just um, dwell a bit more uh, into that? Maybe um, like go a bit deeper. Um, 
what why why do you think there is this uh, strong relations besides some of the points that you were already uh, talking about and do you think that it has been strengthened by what happened to Israel last Saturday uh do you speak about what Saturday um it's like what happened in Israel Saturday I didn't get it uh like not the not the Saturday but on Saturday the 7th of October when Israel oh, were attacked yes. So yeah, so yeah. since the, uh, that happened, do you think that has also um, strengthened this uh, shared set of emotions? Yeah, I think, you know, like Ukrainians are so started to be politicians that uh, now, for example, we have more news about Israel and Palestine, regardless of the fact that we are really far from them in Ukrainian news, uh, that people really forgot that uh, actually we have like uh, the same, uh, but we had it uh, like one year and a half before. Uh, for example, what we saw in Israel, like on the 7th of uh, October, it was like, uh, not, I can't say that it was the same because uh, uh, Gaza was, uh, I don't know, like uh, one piece of uh, a Kiev um, city. I mean, like, uh, we cannot compare the sizes of uh, ruinful actions, but we can uh, we can be human being and don't compare humans' uh, pain because uh, I... Um, I'm not sure that I'm a big fan of people who just uh, really compare the situation of Israel-Palestine conflict with uh, uh, Ukrainian invasion. Why? Because um, I think, uh, of course, uh, aggressor, I mean, like, uh, <laughs> terrorist states uh, really likes, you know, like, uh, to start war without any notice. For example, as uh, Russian thought that um, even uh, uh, before, uh, like, claim it, uh, they just started it uh, in the morning. Uh, at uh, near 5 a.m. So uh, nothing will, um, nothing and no one were prepared except of maybe soldiers uh, near the border. So yes, um, for us it wasn't like a big surprise, but it was uh, for a lot of civilians. And uh, I think that um, for Jewish people, I think uh, for Israel, it also was a big, uh, not surprise, because uh, every time just must be must have been prepared for that, because they had even before. I mean, like, if we just uh, regard some some information from the Six Days War, of what happened, for example, three years ago, when they had, like, really also, uh, like, escalation of the conflict. So I'm not a big expert, uh, but uh, it's, like, obvious situations that uh, they had been in war uh, even before, and for a lot of uh, decades. Uh, since uh, the start of uh, Israel existence in 1948. If we just compare the story of conflict uh, Ukrainians and Russians, it's really difficult because Ukrainians uh, were friendly with Russians before uh, Crimea occupation. Uh, Russians, uh, by the way, even now just uh, have like some bipolar attacks uh, because they just claim our brothers and just uh, they want to kill us because uh, brothers cannot say like, no, 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 you can speak Ukrainian, you can have like your own culture. Uh, in Palestine and Israel conflict, it's like a little bit different um, background. And uh, Ukraine, uh, by the way, uh, don't attack uh, uh, civilians in uh, Russian Federation. I mean, like, we cannot attack, for example, uh, the people in uh, Moscow, in uh, St. Petersburg, in uh, Rostov, or, by the way, everywhere. And uh, the main point of uh, Ukraine's uh, um, war is to uh, defend our territories, uh, defend uh, the rule of law. I mean, like, 
to defend, I mean, like international law of existence, because we have guarantees. In 1994, after the memorandum, Ukraine uh, started to have a um, new relationship with three countries, with Great Britain, with America, and with the United States and Russia, because they started to be our guarantees of our independence. And what we gave them? We gave them nuclear weapons. So it is like a question, if Ukraine like had nuclear weapon, um, maybe we would never had like any war with Russians. Who knows? Who knows? In this case, it's the same situation. I cannot just claim and compare like uh, how Hamas terrorist organization uh, had attacked to Israel and kill even more than 1030 maybe people, uh, including children, uh, women and took maybe around uh, 200 uh, civilians. And uh, now we can have like really a big, uh, you know, like confusion in this case, because Israel just cut off, her, I mean, like heating and war uh, and water uh, from Gaza. And uh, from the same point, they just started to think like, okay, guys, we can give you like uh, what you want, like heating and water and so on. Uh, but you need just to give us uh, people who you just captured. And what they say? It's like a big question. What now? I cannot just identify uh, as, uh, you know, it's really hard because I am not an international lawyer in in uh, European Commission, like who need just to investigate it. But I can compare that what's now going on in Gaza. It's really a crime in international law. And um, I think my um, comments or evaluation are, based upon what you're saying, is that I, I totally agree that these two um, conflicts or these two wars are not comparable because there is a lot of things that really sets them apart that you alluded to. There is a um, different history. There is different, um, how, how would you say it? There is a, um, a difference in like power, so to say, Whereas in the Ukrainian case, it is the weaker on the paper power that has um, got its own territory attacked um, by an autocrat coming uh, outside. Where so in this case, it, the, the democracy is the weaker power, whereas it is um, turned on its head. If you um, do, uh, if you talk about it like that. Then you can it's kind of uh, the flip side in Palestine and Israel, whereas the democracy, like the sovereign nation, is the stronger power, and whereas the um, the attacker is uh, like the what I would say is um, the most um, brutal actor in this war, uh, Hamas, is uh, weaker than the than the democracy. Uh, I think that the connection, and I'm also not an expert like like you not are, but I also think it's sort of a premise for what I'm doing that we allow all voices to get out there and to be heard because I don't necessarily think that the experts always have the right angles and the right analysis, uh, especially concerning how much we collectively fail to understand what would happen in the beginning of the war in in Ukraine but but I think that the connection is that the relationship between Russia and Hamas have improved 
the relationship between Iran and Russia have improved. I don't know if improved is the right word, but it has been cons cons consolidated at least. And these things playing together just makes it um, more, how can you say it? It makes it more possible for Hamas to commit such a strike because they have more secureness in terms of their um, their beggars and maybe they uh, have been given access to more weapons also sent by Russia somehow and and I think that is what we need to be aware of when speaking about uh, Hamas, Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, all these um, relations that that when US um, pulls out of the Middle East and when our focus like shifts away from the Middle East, it um, it makes it more volatile to such attacks being uh, committed against Israel, for example, which is an enemy of um, Iran and Hamas, first and foremost, but also um, in the grander scheme of things, I would say Israel is an enemy of Russia as well, because Israel is a, is a democracy. But I think what, um, so I also wrote to you that I had some thoughts here about possible outcomes of this and once again I'm not an international expert or anything I do study political science though so academically I also do have some some ground to talk about this but I think and then um, this is a positive take I think first of all now we are seeing um, the strikes that Israel is committing on Gaza and I also do not like that at all and um, would take a stand against that and um, say that to a certain degree they are breaking um, the international law with these strikes. So I think there's all all the reasons to be wary about that. But on the flip side of that, you also have to ask yourself the question, what else could Israel actually do in the situation that they are in right now if they want to eradicate the threat of uh, Hamas towards their citizens and and in that way, I think there is some things in the international systems which just doesn't work um, to the world that we are seeing in 2023. Um, but I think maybe the fact that in our psyche in the West, um, we do have an understanding of why it is necessary for Israel to do some of these strikes. And, and I think maybe that understanding will also carry over a bit into the approach that we are uh, yeah, approaching Ukraine with so that we will maybe be a bit le less hesitant towards which rules we are setting up for Ukraine when they receive weapons from us. And we're also going to talk about Western uh, support and uh, you've been already talking about it a bit with the attackers. But I hope this opens up a window for us to realize that some of the things that Israel are doing, we have to also let um, Ukraine do. And this is not to say that Ukraine then has to come in and blow uh, Russian cities up uh, and stuff like that, but just that Ukraine also needs to be allowed to do some strikes into Russian territory that we are maybe not allowing them now, um, but needs to be allowed because it's uh, important for Ukrainian strategy and so on. Uh, so that was um, one of the takeaways that, that I've have and um, there is also uh, another thing which is that I think that 
Israel, who has a prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, who has flirted a bit with the Russians, with Vladimir Putin. He also comes from a political family and has beggars in his government before the government that he now created, uh, the war government. But before that, um, he had some beggars from the far right, which also have like family relations, so to say, to some of the same uh, political ideologies that Putin is um, is following. And I think that this strike against Israel also will make the Israelis realize that Ukraine is actually fighting for some of the things that Israel also claimed to be fighting for, and that will open up for more Israeli support to Ukraine that uh, as of until now actually hasn't been so steadfast. Israel has has played the like the neutral uh, card uh, at a lot of occasions. I also understand the Israeli situation up until this, given whom they are surrounded by. But but I think this will also work positively towards um, yeah Israel Ukraine relations. So so I think that are some um, yeah it's an interesting topic <laughs> Israel Ukraine relationship because actually it's uh, you know like. Um, uh, we just talk about Israel and Ukraine, but actually we need just to understand that uh, um, Israel is uh, not helping currency as much as it's possible to Ukraine. I mean, like with weapon or something like that, because Ukraine just uh, really begging Israel to uh, give something, you know, like from the air defense, because we didn't have at all. I mean, like when we started, Ukraine didn't have at all air defense. That's why... Yeah, uh, the monster, I mean, like uh, the monster rockets are just to uh, fly in Ukraine. I mean, like really ruining everything. So we just waited, I don't know, like how many months. Uh, sorry for my uh, forgetness uh, of statistic. How many months Ukraine uh, just waits it for air defense, like uh, just to stop bombing our land. So all we ask it's only just to defend our air from a Russian attack. It's like that. It's uh, all what we asked. We didn't ask even for firstly, like for tanks or for rockets just to defend something. We ask only just to defend our land. It was all. It's like that. And uh, as we see, Israel, who had uh, really a huge amount of weapons and uh, really a big preparation for that, uh, first hours, uh, they were shocked of what's going on because it was prepared, I think, in advance. And uh, I'm not sure that uh, Hamas could be alone in this case. Of course, uh, for example, um, we previously, uh, I don't remember which day, uh, maybe it was, uh, uh, I'm just trying to get like what it was the day, maybe on the 15th, uh, on the 15th of October, the leader of Hamas uh, said um, gratefulness. I mean, like they said like some thankful words to uh, Putin. Now that uh, they are in Islamic residence movement, uh, really appreciate position of Russian Federation. And uh, what do we see now? That uh, this uh, like uh, cooperation uh, between uh, Islamic world and uh, Russia is really getting increased. I mean, like, and of course, it's over situation because if, for example, international society um, did react as well, what's happened, for example, nine years ago when Crimea was annexed when when uh, the, a lot of territories of Ukraine, maybe 15% uh, of Ukraine were under occupation. 
And uh, we did see like some really, uh, you know, like huge uh, sanction to Russian oligarchs or something like that. And as we see after after nine, uh, one second, uh, no, eight, after eight years, what do we see? Full invasion. What we will see after if, uh, I mean, like if Walder will not be, you know, like if Walder uh, is not um, united, I mean, like in this case, it's not the question to support Ukraine. It's a question of uh, uh, support idea of democracy without terrorists. It's like that. Because if you don't support, I mean, like this idea that people can live on their land without war, um, you really can find yourself like uh, under Russian propaganda, what we can see in uh, some tweeters uh, by Elon Musk, who just asked people just to vote uh, in some election on occupied zone uh, after rocket attacks and so on. It's really like a nonsense for me. And of course, when we see how, for example, um, what's going on now in Israel, we, people really cannot compare, but they, they, just trying to understand like, what's going on. Of course, we see that Russia is supported by iron. That's why we have like a lot of drones. We're just destroying all our civilian areas, and uh, not only civilians, actually. In some uh, heating, for example, at, um, like zones for like usual needs of citizens. And it's like really made by iron. I mean, like it's really made in Iran, and they just give it to Russia, and Russia uses it against us. So like that. And uh, what do we see also now in Iran? Now we can see that they are just ready to fight with Israel. And uh, when you just can read like some Arabic news from Lebanon or Syria uh, or even Jordan, you can see like how people support Palestine and uh, they just really up to free Palestine. Why? Because they see how people just struggle and they turn blind eye on what's going on uh, uh, with Hamas, for example, because they have a like, strong idea. They have like a lot of refugees from their land. And uh, I'm really fair that if Waldo is not united in this case, I think we'll be having like the Third World War in this case. Because if people like from Iran, if from people from Russia, with, uh, for example, this terroristic organization in, uh, you know, like in Syria or in, uh, you know, like Hamas, if they are united, what we can have? I mean, like, if we can just find like some really resolution. I think really if this country, uh, now if these two countries have really uh, like good negotiation between each other and they just um, try to have like a two-state resolution, maybe it could be like a peace for some day. It's like that. Because for example, in our situation, we cannot have like a two-states resolution, you know, like in Ukraine and Russia, because um, we don't do terroristic attack to Russia in this case. We cannot just say like, okay, guys, you can take our territory. Okay, guys, you can just uh, keep our soldiers uh, captured and now they just put us in jail. Okay, guys, you can kill anyone what you want and who you want and be okay with it. And we will be with you because we are brothers. I think it's not democracy. I think it's like... Uh, really um, help in this case. If we just do everything to continue living uh, of this evil, uh, we will not have a peace. And it's not a question in Ukraine. It's a question in Georgia, in Ukraine, 
in, uh, for example, other territories, as we see now in the nearest east. So now we can only just predict where the conflict could be also because of our neighbors. There are so many things that um, one could dive deeper into when talking about all these uh, yeah, different developments in different places in the world that are volatile and um, where nations and people are under the threat of being attacked by, yeah, as you uh, call it, like evil, malicious actors. I think um, to keep a positive note here that some people may say that U.S. will get distracted because now they also have to deal with what is going on in the Middle East and maybe that will distract some of the focus that they could have otherwise have had on helping Ukraine more. I don't think that is a correct way to look at it because I don't think that really is how politics works. I think instead the way politics works and especially international politics is that right now we have a war in Ukraine where the United States are very supportive of Ukraine. There has been some rumbling and some voices maybe saying things that has put that support in in a like in a light where it is where you maybe are not as assured uh, by it. Um, I tend to disagree with that analysis. I don't think that is uh, how it's going to play out with the Republican election. Um, even if we get a Republican president, I still think the support would be very strong. But then this happens in Israel, and that only um, strengthens strengthens the point uh, of people saying that like in the short term but really what I think this will lead to is a bigger broader understanding of the world that we are living in and of the current security climate that are in Eastern Europe in the Middle East in Southeast Asia and basically everywhere in the world so to that point I actually think that what Hamas did is something that has opened up the eyes of Europeans, Americans, uh, Japanese people, uh, Australians, even more, so that our political focus will be actually amplified by this. So I think Ukraine will get more help, actually, as a result of this. I think that Israel will get more help, and I actually think that um, this um, has a kind of, um, you know, like rally uh, around the banner or like rally around the, the flag effect so that when it is more clear to us, to the world, what the threats are, we will also be more persuaded to dealing with those threats. And although the situation is not comparable and is not the same in Ukraine and in Israel and Palestine, there is still broader themes that goes into both of these wars that um, that will become more clear now. And, and I think and hope that this will work positive for Ukraine. So that's just to say that I, I, I don't think there needs to be any worry about this leading to less support to Ukraine. Um, there is, of course, a lot of things to be worried about and to follow that you're also talking about with how the alliances are shaping up in the Middle East and um, what situation 
that can may lead to, but I just hope that the United States, Israel, and the Arabic countries finds solutions that works in the interest of people wanting peace and that we can then base off upon that and that we will see a stronger support for, for Ukraine. But that is, of course, not given. Um, but I think that's a possible outcome for us if we do it um, the right way, like if we approach it intelligently. But I want to, um, I really want to move on, Anna, because we could talk about um, the situation in Palestine and Israel forever. And um, But maybe do you just have some last points about um, what I was saying about um, yeah, how this may open up our eyes even more? Do you think that's uh, correct? Or do you have another um, approach to this? Do you see this differently? I'm not sure that I see it differently. I hope only just Palestine and uh, Israel people just find a solution with uh, some uh, negotiation about that because I think what's going on with civilians in Gaza is really crying. And I hope that uh, um, they find like peace because I uh, really uh, start every day like with some news of what's going on in Israel, with, uh, for example, with my parts of family, what's going on in Ukraine every day. So it's really hard to see how we'll just uh, under the blood. So um, my uh, all sorts now is like um, how people just try to end this hell and just find some solution in uh, more democratic ways, not violence to violence but conversation to conversation. Mm. And I can uh, for sure also um, yeah, vouch for that point. And now we will go on to um, yet the next topic, which is support for Ukraine. And when I'm talking about su support for Ukraine, I think I mainly mean the alliance, uh, the UDCG group, like the Ukrainian Defense Contact Group, which consists of uh, 54 countries now uh, it's, it's around uh, that number but but to me that is sort of the alliance of countries that have committed themselves wholeheartedly to support Ukraine um, and they, they are saying as long as it takes um, but for me that are the countries that we can rely on in terms of support for Ukraine um, what do you think right now Anna that is needed to um, that needs to be done by this um, alliance to help ukraine and to help more ukrainian civilians you also you already talked a bit about attackers uh, when you were like in the beginning of the conversation so maybe it's more of that it could also be other stuff yeah so what's your um, take on all this Actually, I will have maybe uh, too short answer for that uh, as uh, I'm supposed to, because I think um, uh, in our situation, when one Ukrainian soldier must um, must fight with 13 Russian soldiers, if we don't have like uh, in uh, military way support, we'll lose with all our strengths and with all our resistance and so on. Of course, we'll be fighting with them as we were, for example, uh, when we were under occupation in Soviet Union, because uh, Soviet Union also was occupation for us. And uh, that's why it's like a big question. And uh, I think um, what uh, people can do, it's uh, 
just uh, try to support Ukraine not only in humanitarian way, because uh, humanitarian way is like a support country. Uh, when, for example, you understand when you just try to fix uh, not uh, reasons but consequences, and uh, if people, when I'm sure, don't want to pay more taxes for a long time to establish some needs for Ukrainians for future, they must uh, understand that they, if they more help Ukrainians now uh, with uh, military, I mean, like with weapons, uh, maybe it will um, continue not so long. Maybe it will last um, several years and it will Who knows? Now we can see a lot of, you know, like statistics. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, I uh, read uh, even last year a lot of articles which just said like, of course, Ukraine will be defeated. Of course, uh, they cannot just fight with Russians. It's like the second biggest uh, in their, yeah, in the criteria, like the biggest army in the world. How they can resist? It's impossible. But what we see? Ukraine stands. So it's uh, the question not only of our community, uh, and uh, of course of our, our army forces of Ukraine, but it's also the question of uh, all delivery and weapons. I mean, like drones, sir, it's a question of uh, also policy of how we can get like more weapons for that. Because uh, I'm not sure that uh, Ukrainians with all their heart and uh, soul can just fight only with their wood stick uh, against uh, Russian attacks. You understand it. It's uh, impossible. For example, as it was, for example, in the 60s when Czechoslovakia um, just started to be a part of Soviet Union and uh, wanted to be separately, that what we have. They killed the activists and uh, uh, the occupation of Czechoslovakia was continued. It's like that. So more weapons sir, we have, I mean, like in Ukraine, it's more possibilities to um, to finish this war as soon as possible, like that. Now we can see a lot of, for example, it was really an amusing story, maybe you heard about it, that uh, people said that uh, some kind of rockets uh, of Russia is impossible to catch by air defense. And for example, it was the news this summer when Ukraine just got some uh, new uh, air defense from USA and uh, they could really uh, keep uh, these um, rockets. It's true. I will maybe just... Was that the attack? Um, no, it was uh, different ones. I will just need just to check uh, this name of uh, the specific rockets because it's a different way. And uh, I will send you like, in this information because uh, uh, all, or, like, all people said that it's impossible to catch it. But it's possible. <laughs> Yes, so if you want to defend, say... Yeah, but the point is from this, um, which I think is important, is that this is another case where we um, in the EU countries, maybe also in the US and so on, where we have put forward, where we have put in front of us breaks for giving something to Ukraine. Um, like argue, We have put arguments in front of us that are not, doable because they are just not true and this is a case of that I think where we have been saying oh but this missile uh, cannot get um, catched by an anti-air defense uh, like air defense system but as you're saying uh, it could apparently 
Um, and therefore, the argument that we made about why we weren't sure about sending something to stop such missiles, for example, um, just turned out not to be true. And and I just think that is a tendency that we have towards a lot of weapon weapon delivery, uh, like weapon deliveries that we haven't been doing. Of course, it's a, I mean, like, if you just not generalize, I mean, what you're just saying and me saying about weapons, of course, it must be like air defense. I mean, like, uh, it's uh, impossible just to fight when you understand that your family is under attack. So I cannot even imagine how hard, for example, for our soldiers just fight and understand that they are family. And if we have, like, a lot of situations like that, when soldiers just fight for Ukraine and his family just dead because he is able killed by a rocket attack. So, of course, it's it's important to have, like, air defense. It's really important because we have, like, a lot of really heartbreaking stories uh, how people just, uh, that regardless of the fact they need to frontline or not, because they just missile attacked uh, not only to frontline zone, they just attacked, like, uh, to the territory, which are maybe 1,000 uh, kilometers apart, I mean, like, from frontline, like, really west, uh, near the border lines. That's why we can uh, see a lot of, uh, like, confusion situation with some, uh, you know, like, parts of rockets which just fall down in Poland, in Romania, and in Moldova, too. So... If people just can Google it, they can find some information. That's why I think uh, the main point uh, just uh, to maybe three, the main points of that, I mean, like like three whales, you know, like of uh, win for Ukraine is like really air defense, um, air defense uh, tanks and uh, missiles. I mean, like, uh, like attacks and so on. Because without it, you cannot just... Uh, win uh, as uh, for example any uh, you know like uh, uh, sci- science uh, just can predict mm. and can you maybe comment a bit about um, why you think there has been this um, hesitancy from the US from Germany and well I guess from all of the countries supporting Ukraine's in terms of um Escalating the support that we are giving, like like giving Ukraine, because to me it just seems as if we um, have been following a wrong path in uh, the way that we uh, support Ukraine, whereas um, we are hesitant towards sending something, but then we always end up sending it, and then we see that it works most of the times so 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 why do you think there has been this hesitancy along the way i think because uh, um russia before they started uh, this war as they call it special operation they even just didn't call it uh, like war and now they can see, continue to live in such illusion of what's going on in their country and they hate not their government in the most amusing day but uh, uh ukrainians so they suppose the government they want to kill us, and then they said like, no, and maybe because of our, um, fear of a lot of peoples uh, of Russia, because they think that oh my God, it's like uh, the more is one of the most prepared, well prepared, and the most biggest army in the world. How we just can fight with them? Of course, no, and uh, that's why uh, they didn't understand like Ukrainian moral in this case. 
because a lot of uh, people, I mean, like uh, with who are really friendly and uh, with many acquaintances, when we just start to talk about that, they said like, oh my God, if I were you, I would, uh, for example, for sure, I would uh, flat. I mean, like I would never just fight against Russians. Because uh, what we see, I mean, like in our cinema, in our art, everyone, uh, you know, like uh, intrigued of uh, this Russian culture, of uh, their, you know, like uh, of uh, their willingness and eager for fight every time. Because um, Russian Empire, when they started to exist uh, since Peter the Great, and um, when they transformed to Soviet Union, and when they turned into Russian Federation, they were every time, every 10 or 20 years in the war. It's like how they exist. And uh, why, uh, for example, people just hesitate to help Ukraine, I think... Uh, Maybe from one point they just wait uh, what's going on after. Maybe Ukraine will, uh, I don't know, like take, uh, will give uh, uh, to Russians uh, their territory and it's all with peace. What, for example, we had like this uh, eight years. For example, a lot of people in Ukraine, I mean, like our army, I mean, like our soldiers uh, were killed, I mean, like were injured in uh, this not war, but, you know, like a terroristic uh, operation. Because uh, when our territory was occupied, uh, I'm not sure that uh, a lot of people even knew where is Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, like, of course, someone knew about, like, uh, the Russia just uh, uh, occupied uh, Crimea, occupied some zones, uh, but uh, people were not aware of it. And maybe it's like uh, our bad, I mean, like, from our um, policy in this case. And uh, why? Uh, maybe because uh, people just were fear of that. Maybe because they were waiting what it would be after maybe Ukraine will give the territory, maybe what we see we are not. So because it will be, you know, like betray to people. It will if for example our government just say like, okay guys, we can stop it because uh, we can give for them what they wanted and uh, we will have peace. It will be really uh, I think um Really, it will betray all feelings and uh, all families who just uh, lost their families. It will uh, betray all feelings and people who fight for Ukraine and uh, for what they fight it, for what they uh, lost their people, for what uh, it was, uh, for just uh, lose uh, someone who just started war in five years. And we are really sure that they will not stop. And it's, it's okay. But I'm sure that people, I mean, like nine years ago or like two years ago, they uh, were sure that uh, we can stop Russia by negotiation. We can stop Russia by, uh, you know, like brainstorming maybe after some summit, but it's not. And as we see, after they just uh, miss out civilian object, like hospitals, schools, uh, when they just uh, stole a lot of our artificial from museums. Why they need museums? I mean, like, you understand, like, they really steal some artificial objects from museums. For what? Because they want to steal our culture. Because they want uh, Ukraine will not exist. And uh, I'm sure that's why, you know, like, uh, Fursa and Fursa, they just did more crimes. Fursa and Fursa, Europeans just understand that uh, this war cannot be solved by negotiation because you cannot say crocodile just stop you couldn't just say like let's talk it's impossible because they know what they want it's like it it's my subjective uh, um, point of view
I really agree with almost everything you just said. I really think that um, the biggest factor, as you were also talking about, is probably the fear in um, populations um, in the US, in the EU countries, in UK, and so on. I think that that fear is blown out of proportion. That's my personal attitude. And I think that we have seen throughout the war that a lot of what Putin has said would be the consequences of doing said things have turned out not to be true. So it is this um, like lightsaber sabling um, or what they call it uh, that that he's doing and um, and we shouldn't tap too much into that. I think we have come a long way and we are not tapping as much into it as we used to. But that's I think really think that's a, a very important point. And then I also really agree with you that it is based upon lack of knowledge and understanding about what this war and before that conflict is between Russia and Ukraine because we don't know enough about Ukraine and Ukrainians. And you talked a bit about if that were a mistake that um, the Ukrainians also shares some um, blame for, to put it like that. And I think I don't know enough about the development in Ukraine since 2014 to now to really um, talk about that. I think you are possibly correct. Um, But I would just like to add to that that I think that a lot of it also is a result of the way that our focus has shifted over the last, let's say, 15 or 10 years, really in the same uh, period that um, has been the aftermath of the Russian invasion of Crimea. Because I think in that period, our focus have drifted away from international matters and more into things that we care about ourselves and would like to uh, change in our own country, for example, or maybe we have started to um, become more um, preoccupied with um, political debates that stems from the United States and so on. And so therefore we maybe haven't put enough attention towards what is actually going out, going on in the world. And first and foremost in Ukraine, which I think for this whole period has appeared as the most important subject to delve into. And, uh, and I really think that um, like, Getting more knowledge about Ukraine out there really is important if to make people realize that a peace settlement in which um, Russia gains some of the territory that is under Ukrainian uh, law, like that that belongs to Ukraine under international law is just not a viable solution because of the way that the Ukrainians feel and because of all that the Russians have already done. So so that's just a, a very important thing to keep spreading. Yeah, really to keep spreading the knowledge. It's really good question. <laughs> yeah, it's really good question, and especially uh, I'm not sure. I'm really, uh, really glad that you just have such point of view, and uh, I'm really grateful for such uh, inspired people, as for example, uh, who also can listen to your podcast, because uh, uh, I think that a majority of people who 
like live in more stable countries uh, with stable economics uh, and not very interested in uh, migration crisis or something like it. Of course, I know uh, the idea of what they pay taxes. Of course, not everyone just likes uh, to pay taxes in this case. But, uh, you know, uh, people... Um, if they live in stability, they're not very preoccupied in some crisis in the world, regardless of the fact where they are, I mean, like in which country, in Europe or in Arab countries or in America, in somewhere. And it's so huge question to every one of us to be on the right side, to be not actually uh, to support democracy or not. It's a question to be really prepared for future i mean like if you really have critical mind you can just understand and identify where people just try to use propaganda to put you on their side or not it's like a really critical mind when you just can estimate like some situations and uh, news and understand where is miss and where is not and it also can be when you for example live in democracy when people live in uh, some countries uh, which are so critical i mean like where really totalitarianism just continues I think they cannot just uh, divide something like truth and lie. Why? Because they don't have any tools for that. I mean, they cannot just uh, uh, estimate it. They cannot uh, divide like what is it because they have like only one kind of uh, news what they can support. And it's really important in this case because I'm really grateful for uh, such people who really want to know like what is Ukraine. Because uh, if you are colonia, I mean, like if you are uh, living in colonia, for example, or post-colonial system, because Ukraine war, Ukraine was a part of Soviet Union. So, or everything, what you can know in about Ukraine, I mean, like 100 years ago, or for example, 50 years ago, it was a Russian way of our history. Why? Because Ukraine was independent even before Soviet Union existed. Because Ukrainian Republic existed as an independent one even in 1918. And not 18, uh, 19, yes, 18, yes. So 1918, Ukraine existed. Russia, nope. It was Soviet uh, Union, which is, will be, I mean, like in 1922, and it was Russian Empire, which, are, which is trying, you know, like to change a little bit in their, like, regime. So when Ukraine just started to be independent, I mean, like when they just really await their independency, I mean, like in 1991, it was a big question to others. I mean, like it was a question to us, first of all, just how we need just to change a uh, Russian view of Ukrainian history in uh, international, you know, like community. Because all people, I mean, like in Europe, in other countries, uh, learn something about Georgia, about Caucasus, I mean, like about Crimea, Tatarian, Ukrainians, Belarus, Poland, and so on, from their resources. Why? Because after Second World War, they just divided these territories and uh, put their regime on this. So they con can control it. And of course, they control like some kind of uh, views because of it. And that's why a lot of people knew about Ukraine or other post-colonial um, states only from the view of uh, imperialist way. I mean, like of their colonizators. And it's like a big question, just to understand that what you read before, it's not actually what it was for sure. So yeah, it's like demanding people to search more information. I mean, like to Google something, not to use like only Wikipedia or what they can just estimate something. It's like that. That's true. It really, uh, 
is sort of how can you say it um it's it's a difficult uh puzzle to solve just how much knowledge about ukraine that hasn't been um, put uh, forward towards people in Denmark, Germany, the UK, US, and so on, because of the fact that it has been under Russian control for such a long period, and that has um, definitely carried, uh, like, carried over to the academical approach on Ukraine in uh, in our parts of the world, and and it has really, um, like. It is manifested, I think, in the way that a lot of people think about this, because they never knew anything about Ukraine before this. To that point, I think I was maybe lucky that I wrote about Ukraine when I was doing my, like, my biggest assignment in high school in the winter of 2015, because then I got to write about the Maidan Revolution and uh, saw a lot uh, about what that was about, and that was really what captured me also in the first place about Ukraine. And um, I think a lot of people would um, learn a lot if they would just watch that documentary about um, David, then that would give them a lot of new... Um, yeah, I'm very happy that you just learned uh, Ukrainian history in university. I think it's wow. It's really inspired me just uh, to not lose hope for that. But that, no, no, no. I just need, I need to, uh, I need to clarify here. It was when I was in high school and we have to do like a big assignment when we are in our third year of high school and then you have to choose a subject that you will write about. And then I wanted to write about the possible, uh, like the possibility of a new Cold War occurring. Um, and then Ukraine kind of became my central focus because what because of what had happened in Ukraine. So that was how I got more into it so it's not like a general thing that people learn in danish high schools and universities and so on you really have to delve into it yourself which um was what i luckily did but yeah it's it's just such an um there's so much to compensate for and we, we are in a heading towards the right direction i think but that is um it, it's still something to think about that such a tragedy had to occur on ukrainian territory for us to realize that some of the notions that we had been using just doesn't work about um, Ukraine. And that realization still have to get even more uh, strong. And I only think that we will like really realize it once Ukraine win wins this war, which I still think is the only possible outcome. Thank you so much. You really inspired me. <laughs> You really inspired me just to continue my work with history and so on because I think it's really important. I have a lot of friends who just uh, really uh, pushed me and just to continue my studies about history because they just said, like, Anya, we really have questions. So if uh, really people just are interested, in, for example, as you are also uh, in Ukraine and uh, why it's going like that, I'm really happy to hear it because the main point of, uh, I think, all now Ukrainians' actions is just uh, to take more um, attention, to take more, uh, like, uh, attitude uh, to this point, to not just to, you know, like, uh, inspire people only to support Ukraine. I mean, like, to inspire people to analyze and to look information what's going on in Europe, like that. And I actually think that your reaction... Um 
is a good um, pathway to the next thing uh, that is on the agenda for the conversation here. And um, that was what I was writing to you, that um, yep. me and my former producer, we created this jingle, which is called Does the Guest Agree? Which is something we did because when I first started this project um, doing the conversations, I had a tendency to speak in a way in which it is very possible. Uh, it is very difficult not to agree with um, what I'm saying, and I think that is because this really is um, politically driven. So I'm doing all this based upon a wish to help Ukraine more, and um, thereby to help the broader struggle for freedom in the world. And and therefore, I I also speak pretty politically sometimes. But then instead, we um, we created the jingle which is called Does the Guest Agree? And I cannot play it to you uh, because you wouldn't be able to like hear it properly. So instead, I will just like present that it is coming and then I will talk about the like the theory or, um, or like the, the, what I want to, um, to talk about and what I want to hear your opinion on. So I will just say that here comes the jingle. Well, I, I just wanted to, you, you've made a brilliant closing statement. Absolutely. Excellent. And now we're back. And what I want to um, lay out there today is um, a thing that I've been thinking about actually a lot during the last few weeks. Also, uh, as a result of what has happened in Israel, I think, um, I think what happened in Israel also really brought this way of thinking um, to my attention once again and also a lot of the things that you have been saying and it is this thing about supporting Ukraine and what effects it has that people are supporting Ukraine and I just think that initially when I started supporting Ukraine um, as much as I do and as much as I've done since the since it became clear to me that a full-scale invasion would occur is um is this a uh, feeling that i've had that my support were also helping ukrainians to be more secure about um the fact that they are fighting for something that is really important because it is freedom and they are not just fighting for ukraine and ukrainians they are also fighting for danish people german people basically all people in the world that have freedom and when I was then um, supporting, I got the sense that that like that the Ukrainians could also feel the support that they were receiving from the the rest of the world. And I just think that for like a period, maybe I haven't really paid enough attention to how important it actually is for the Ukrainians, for the Israelis as well, to feel that other people are also aware of their struggle and that other people also support them and that they not just do it in a humanitarian way, but that um, you also do it on an ideological level. And when I say ideological level, I mean that you are trying to say as many things as possible that help shift the narrative in favor of Ukraine and that you're saying as many things as possible that strikes the right emotions in Ukrainians when it comes to whether or not an, emo an emotion will lead someone to keep on 
fighting and to keep on participating and to keep on trying to influence the um, yeah, the narrative. And you were saying that some of the things that I said or that maybe inspired you also to um, to study history more. And and I think that is just a uh, a great example of how important it is in the broader struggle that people keep on speaking out loud and that people keep on saying that they support Ukraine. Because when I support Ukraine and say that I support Ukraine, it is not only to, um, it, it is very much also because of that, but it is not only to make politicians in Denmark realize that that, um, that there is a huge support for helping Ukraine more. It is also to participate on the broader informational, in the broader informational war where where I just really think that if no one was speaking out loud like I'm doing and, now, and like a lot of other people are doing, it would be much more difficult for the Ukrainians to, to keep on fighting because then there wouldn't be this... Um, okay, now it, I'm coming into a bit of a rough ground here, but what I'm saying is that Ukraine and Ukrainians, I believe, will always fight for Ukraine and for their families and um, fight to uh, live independently from Russia. I think that would be a wish, no matter what anyone else said. But I think that when they also feel that the rest of the world is supporting them, it really amplifies the wish and the energy to keep on fighting because it makes them aware that it is not just our own fight. There is also beggars, and we are not alone, and other people are, are joining in as well. So... Yeah, that was just a, a thought process that I wanted to share with you. Um, yeah, and I, uh, yeah, and I look forward to hear your comments to it. I only can say thank you for that. I only can say thank you for what you're doing and uh, for standing with Ukraine, because I think it's important if we have even one person who supports Ukraine even one person who can uh, understand what's going on in Ukraine because only by uh, you know like uh, sharing our thoughts and uh, by um, speaking to each other and be heard to each other I think it's uh, one step to understanding and uh, one step to solving this uh, world as soon as possible like that so I'm, I'm really looking forward to see your jingle because it's the first time for me I have no idea what it could be so I uh, uh, what from what to your side what you just said I only can uh, can share my gratefulness because what you said I uh, for example when only just first started I couldn't even imagine that we have like such people because I was sure that everyone just uh, just deaf and blind and no one can hear so yeah when i for example was uh, in ukraine when all all of it was started for me it was like a big stress because i uh, couldn't understand that how it could be in the 21st century how it could be like such kind of kind of said how they can uh, attack uh, shopping centers uh, hospitals schools and so on why no one just see that and for me it was really a stress and when i understand that even at least uh, one person can say me like, yeah, I heard about it, I read about it. I, I really want to just discuss it because I think it's important. For me, it's a big win. I think it's a victory uh, when even one person can read some news about what's going on in brain and understand like uh, that in Europe, people just die not because uh, of uh, some kind of cancer or some kind of illness, but because of someone wants to take their land. So I like it.
I'm really grateful. Mm. And um, I, I just think that what you're saying kind of, um, it also makes me even more secure uh, about uh, like continuing all that I'm doing uh, because it really is. And I really think that is the approach people that want to support Ukraine need to have. Like what you're saying about if just one more person speaks out, it is good for um, Ukraine because sometimes maybe people feel like they are not getting hurt or that what they're doing is not getting enough interactions or um, or something like that. And I can just say that my um, working philosophy straight from the beginning was that it is better if just one person hear it than um, that than that no people will hear it. Like if my with my conversations. For example, so I interviewed some Ukrainians when I was writing my bachelor last spring, uh, spring 2022, about the war in Ukraine. And and I thought, all right, now I have these conversations and I actually really like them. So I wanted to put them out there so that people could listen to them if they wanted to. And I was speaking with Veronica, which was one of the girls that I spoke to back then. And we kind of agreed that All right, if I don't put it out, then zero people will listen to it. And if I put it out, one people will, will probably listen to it. And, and that's better than no one. So I also think just to, I was also talking, writing to you that I wanted to talk about values. So I maybe we'll um, put, put that point um, like uh, to be that so that the value is that if you support Ukraine, um, you really you really shouldn't be paying attention. Of course, I would love to have a million listeners. Um, that's obvious. But but the point is that you cannot pay attention. Really, like the most important thing isn't if um, a lot of people is following it. It is what you do, is, is what you're doing. The right thing, does it contribute to the Ukrainian effort? And, and then just to um, be aware of the fact that if you're not doing it, then nobody will hear it. But if you're doing it and putting it out there, at least some people will will hear it, and maybe that can even carry all the way to um, to some of the people in Ukraine. And maybe the, the motivation and the energy that you're putting into it, it can maybe even carry all the way to the to the front line somehow. I, I just think it's so interesting how all these things, um, like how politics works, like that when it is so um, so attached to people and so attached to emotions as as well. So maybe that will be one of the, that will probably be like the last long point that I make. Do you have anything um, that you like want to uh, share now with um, the listeners here towards the end or something that you've been thinking about that that you like wanted to say? Yeah, maybe I could say that uh, if you have uh, any choice uh, what um, with what you can live, choose freedom. And if you really choose freedom, you need to fight for it whenever you are, I mean, like, in a democratic country or not, I think uh, is the main point. And why uh, now a lot of people support Ukraine, maybe because they also choose freedom and they understand their solidarity. If they don't understand, maybe they need just to, I don't know, like to read more information about why people want us to, to have a right of life or the right of free speech as a right of freedom to be 
not under some, you know, like paradigms, uh, cliche or something like it, or under uh, the government of country which cannot accept uh, your identity. So thank you so much for such really fruitful con conversation for maybe uh, almost two hours. I didn't assume that it will be like that. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for participating. I'm very grateful for that. And I would also, um, yeah, maybe we can uh, talk sometime in the future as well. But that was it today. And now I will end the conversation. Hey.